0: bloke in a bird show you know this week because we were off last week there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about
1: we can't slow down at all to chit chat
0: no we we are hammered down here we're going to strap mode three and we are just gonna go right into it
1: well we need to take one side note
0: we're, we're gonna push really hard now
1: right but we have to take one little left turn okay today as we record mm-hmm. you have been a parent for 13 years
0: yeah that's kind of scary <laughs>
1: <laughs> so happy birthday to the boy of the bloke and the bird and the boy
0: who's probably not listening but that's okay
1: well he catches up occasionally
0: so let's go back about two weeks
1: in our wayback machine
0: something like that doesn't okay. work but you know it's on blocks right now but anyway <laughs> and there was a really really weird story that came out About two weeks ago.
1: Oh, please tell me you're talking about Bernie and his Uh mother-in-law.
0: Uh-huh. Reports came out last Tuesday, not this past Tuesday, but the one before that, that his mother-in-law was kidnapped. Yes. In Brazil, which, yeah, given everything that's happening right now in Brazil, that's not exactly a good way to lead off things. No. But, well... But before we even get to the whole kidnapping thing, did you know that Bernie is older than his mother-in-law?
1: Not just older, but older by like 20 years. Yes. <laughs> He's in his 80s. His mother-in-law's in her early 60s. And his wife- 67. Wa- oh, okay. Late 60s. I thought she was 61 for some reason. Um, and then his wife is in her late 30s.
0: Yeah, um, his wife, Fabianda Flossi, um, which is, by the way, his third wife.
1: Well, yeah, because they keep getting too old for him.
0: Her mother, Aparecida Schnuck, who is seven, 67 years old, was kidnapped in the Interlagos area.
1: And we know how safe that area is. That the drivers, when they race in Brazil, have to be personally escorted to the Jensen track. Jensen
0: Button was carjacked one year going out <laughs> to the race in Interlagos. Exactly. Um, the kidnappers have demand or had demanded that a ransom be paid in pounds sterling and divided into four bags of cash. Um, it, if the the figure was accurate of what the demand was, it was the largest. Uh, largest ransom in brazil's history they were asking for 36.5 million dollars
1: and um the authorities told bernie that he was not to come to brazil
0: yeah i think there was something about that too yes so we don't need you here later on in a week about two three days later reports come out that um miss schnuck was rescued um they they found her basically the police located the house that she was being held in it was in the city of Codia near Sao Paulo on last Sunday Police learned at the house or, or located the house with the aid of security cameras around the city as well as mobile phone monitors now the good news was that she was found in good health it doesn't sound like she was injured or anything like that so it was a fully safe return of her And coming out of that report were later that two people were arrested while a third is being sought by police. The third was later found this week and turned out to be Bernie's helicopter pilot.
1: Okay. You're punking me at this point, right? (laughs) You're telling me that a a plot for some telenovela, right? I... Because this can't possibly be reality.
0: Pilot Jorge Eurico de Silva Faria was the last person seized or arrested by police, and he is alleged to be the mastermind of the attack.
1: How much did Bernie tick that man off as his helicopter driver that he would think to do this? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um. So, in an summary,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Bernie's life nothing like mine.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've been unhappy with silly season. However, we do have some silly season.
1: that music should have been cut in half because it's only like a wee tiny
0: little update well, we, we, we've got a couple of things we, we've got talk about three drivers the weird thing is that this year's or, or this week's silly season news is about this year
1: yeah, okay
0: <laughs> all righty okay so when we left you last <laughs> <laughs> there were ongoing questions about Rio Harianto's future at Manor
1: will he won't he can he find the money
0: there were a couple of stories in advance of the german grand prix uh, indicating that he would be driving in the race however maybe he wouldn't have to pay for the seat or they were going to bill him for the seat later put him on net 30 terms or something (laughs) like that but ultimately his manager managed to scrounge up the money to pay for his ride that weekend
1: they checked the couch cushions again?
0: That's what it seems like. They, they, they shook out some—it th- was the lint traps in the dryers, the team dryer. That's what it oh, was. Oh,
1: okay. They are able to
0: come up from that with, with enough change in the lint trap to pick
1: I know this. what happened. Rio picked one of the more wealthy drivers' pockets is what happened.
0: No, it was not that. We're not going to go there. But we will say that he possibly went and checked the the lint traps over at Mercedes, because <laughs> you know Lewis Hamilton's got a couple of extra hundreds that he forgets to take out of his pockets.
1: I'm sure he does.
0: Possibly Bernie Eccleston's trailer.
1: Well, no, all he had to do is like make a hole in the pocket,
0: knowing and Lewis Lewis already around. has those holes in the pocket in his pockets
1: intentionally yeah. somehow. Um, all I really see when I hear this story about Rio trying to get money and that they might have fronted him, the race, and then bill him mm-hmm. later, is like the godfather and two guys coming around to take collect and we're gonna break your kneecap. Well that that's
0: that may be what's going on this summer. We don't know that. There's a
1: summer break. He could heal from broken kneecaps by this point.
0: Yeah. He spoke to a couple of guys whose middle name was the Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, Rio did in fact drive in uh, Hockenheim. Not particularly great, but. Although the reality is, you think about it. You know, coming into this season, mm-hmm. the expectation was Pascal Verlein was going to be the superstar down there, and he was the next big thing, or at least the thing. And this was the future coming, and. Rio, Harianto. everyone's like, we've never heard of this guy. He's not that impressive. We're not that thrilled. But Rio's been giving Pascal a run for his money. He's at least trying to—he's he, at least making Pascal work for it.
1: I, I think that's a definitely fair assessment of the back end of the grid. Yeah. Um. And, you know, to be very honest, they haven't finished 21st and 22nd in every race.
0: No, they haven't. Um. Not only that, but— as was indicated by the small ad on uh, Sniff Petrol a few weeks ago, they have points and Sauber doesn't. True. Or a point. Hey. And Sauber doesn't.
1: That is one more point than Sauber has.
0: That is a lot more prize money than Sauber's getting at this rate this year.
1: But that's okay. They've gotten refinanced. Manisha, yes. Manisha can go on and continue to sell two seats to four drivers.
0: hmm Anyway, so back to Rio. We still don't know what Rio's future is. He got a temporary stay of execution. He can make it through, well, he made it to the summer break. But as of right now, he does not have cash.
1: Well, he has three weeks to figure out how many more lint traps and couches he can scrounge some money from.
0: Well, he possibly has more than that. Because, you know, as we have talked about, Alexander Rossi is their reserve driver. Mm -hmm. However... Alexander's not free until October.
1: Correct. And currently, Alexander Rossi is leading by a mile the um, rookie driver rookie of the year race uh, contest within IndyCar, Mm -hmm. and even within IndyCar, he's also like ninth overall. That's what happens when you win the five hundred. Yeah. But I mean, he's doing really well in IndyCar. He wouldn't want to leave to go race Formula One when he has the opportunity to win some prize money from IndyCar. Mm-hmm. So you're right. He's not going to be available till October. He's going to finish out the Indy season. Um, and so with that, you have this other issue of uh, who would drive for Rio.
0: Well, the, the two other names that have been floated, van dorn stoffel van dorn is which as you may or may not remember is already a holder of championship points for the season
1: yes he is although they were mclaren points
0: right but but still he has earned points within the series which shows some promise there and not only are they mclaren points but they were mclaren's first points of the season yes they were Um, in
1: fact they stood as the only points for the season for several races
0: the other name that has been bounced around in is uh, Esteban Ocon. Yes, who's been bounced around as a potential in a couple of seats, including over at Renault. Mm-hmm. But Ocon sits in the Mercedes program. He's technically a Mercedes driver that Mercedes has leased out to Renault. So. It's not beyond the realm of possibility of Manor being right now essentially the junior Mercedes team for them to consider Ocon as opposed to uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, even though he has a point.
1: Well, and that's definitely the case because – or definitely a thought because Manor is very much a junior Mercedes team, a junior junior actually if you really get down serious about it. But, um, you know, they are fouring – forging ahead with this idea of being the junior mercedes team um and i think that that's why we were looking at pascal so closely because he's a mercedes driver
0: well you know i'll throw one thing out there completely off the wall okay but i'm gonna throw it out there because the way things are going i could almost see this happening what what about one daniel (laughs) Cavill?
1: I don't see that happening, mostly because I have Daniel Caveat on my list of most likely to implode.
0: No, he already has imploded.
1: I mean, like, physically. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to turn around one day and find a little nugget on the ground where Daniel used to be.
0: Yeah, well, that's about where his career is going at this point. He, he's he got to find something. He's, he's got to... Uh, I get that he's frustrated, and I get that he's been beat down, but right now he's in this never-ending death spiral that he's got to figure out, because otherwise the best that he could hope for next year is maybe a manor or a sauber seat if he's going to be in single-seat racing at all.
1: The problem that Daniel is facing, um, in so very many ways, I look at what's going on with Daniel's career right now and remember back to... Early, moody Lewis Hamilton. The problem is that Kvyat doesn't have the talent that Hamilton had. Yeah. And so you don't get away with this string of moodiness that Hamilton really got away with only because he's got a lot of core talent. But remember the days of inconsistent Lewis. He would have a fight with Nicole and they would break up and we'd have three races that Lewis was awful.
0: He was awful, but odds are he was still within the points.
1: Awful for Lewis is not awful mm-hmm. for Daniel,
0: and that's the, I think that's the thing that that's killing Daniel is well not only is is he moody, but he got slid down to the junior team, and he's getting his lunch completely handed to him by uh, Carlos Signs.
1: Well, and that, and he also can't keep his mouth shut. Yeah. He's going to get bitten by his very own mouth by announcing that he doesn't trust his team and his tre- team can't set the car up the way he needs it. And the and team it's...
0: doesn't trust him, he said.
1: Right. I you know, there's, there's just too much going on, and he's airing dirty laundry in public. And you know how well that flies in Formula One.
0: Well, the, the other thing that, I'm sorry, Daniel needs to consider, and I think everybody needs to remember, is what that Toro Rosso is running. You know, there was a lot of hype and a lot of hope over that Toro Rosso in the beginning of the season because it was last year's Ferrari engine and last year's Ferrari engine was doing fairly decent. And the thought was the Renault engine was so bad that Toro Rosso had a fighting chance to mix it up with the big boys for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. That didn't come about The engine is not being upgraded, which means every week that somebody else brings out upgrades and bits and whatever to their engine and and modifications to their engine, that team slides further and further back and is going to slide further and further back no matter what the drivers do. But Expectations need to be based around that understanding, and they're not right now.
1: The problem is that Danielle is not being compared to uh, the rest of the field right now. He's being compared to his own teammate who has yes. the same handcuffs of the Ferra- the last year Ferrari unupgraded engine. That's the problem. Now, if he was neck and neck with Carlos every week, nobody would be saying a word. But yeah. Carlos is finishing in the points, and Danielle is retiring every week.
0: Or he's in the back of the grid or whatever. But... Yeah, and, and that, that's where Daniel's bigger issue is. But the number of commentators I've heard of the, well, you know, the Red Bulls are really, or, or the Toro Rossos are really starting to slide back. Well, they're, they're supposed to be sliding back at this point. That was the understanding and the expectation.
1: Well, you've just made a comment about the fact that talking heads will talk about anything, whether or not it makes any sense.
0: True. Okay, moving along. Moving. So, Sergio Perez... That we heard from VJ Malia back in Silverstone had a signed contract, and they were keeping their pair in place. And we've heard c- continued comments coming from the Force India camp that it is extremely important to them to keep their driver pairing intact. Well, apparently, Sergio Perez's camp hasn't quite heard that message. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds like the sponsors over at Sergio Perez's camp may be making the decision as to what Sergio's future actually looks like. Um, there is talk that Renault is interested we mentioned last week there was talk of one other team what oh oh that Haas may also be interested in, in Sergio's services. But it's going to be his sponsors that will make the call, and it sounds like that if there are going to be penalties paid for breaking this contract that has been signed with Force India, his sponsors are willing to do it so that they can put him in another team. Wow. Yeah.
1: That could be impressive. Let's see if he's worth that kind of shift.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. The, the the leading talk right now is that Renault really wants him over there. I'm not sure who he would be replacing over there yet. I mean, obviously, Grosjean has done an incredible job for them.
1: Grosjean drives for Haas.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You're right.
1: Palmer, Magnuson. Palmer, and
0: Magnuson. I suspect it's going to be Palmer, but I don't know. Hmm. Sorry, I got those two confused. <laughs>
1: it's okay.
0: The other big rumor that has been flying around is over Jensen Button's future.
1: Everybody wants to know, will he retire? Will he not retire? Is he going to continue with McLaren? Is he going to go to somebody else? Is he, you know, going to And Jensen's not
0: helping the situation.
1: Is he going to go commentate with DC on Channel 4? I mean, can you imagine how much fun that would be to watch?
0: A Jensen Button David Cothard Mark Weber combination.
1: Oh, okay. NBC Sports, I've just given you your new triad. I,
0: the thing is, I can't see Mark Weber or David Cothard moving to, to commentate anywhere else.
1: No, I can't see that either. But oh, Jensen and Mark and David would be awesome.
0: Yeah, that'd, that'd be a, a really interesting combination of commentators well jensen has unfortunately his own statements are a bit confusing you know he, he is saying that until mclaren makes their decision in august he's not doing anything and mclaren has said that they're making their decision sometime in august as to what their direction looks like but the question is whether or not mclaren's actually going to tell anybody until even september Jensen has released his own statement saying that, you know, yeah, he'd love to stay in Formula One. He's he's not convinced that he's done with Formula One and that he still thinks that he can perform, but he wants to be at a team where he can perform. But he's also released statements saying that, well, you know, WEC does look kind of (laughs) interesting. That does look like some fun kind of driving there. And we know Mark Webber has been trying to get him into WEC for a while, at least two or three years now.
1: Well, I think it it's an interesting concept, but there is a statistic to keep in mind. No world champion has ever left Formula One to then go to compete in any other series. Y- well. That was the statistic I, I was I, I've
0: heard that as well, but I had thought I had heard something that there was a, a brief stretch where, where Michael Schumacher, after he had been released by Ferrari— had either gone to DTM or motorcycles or something like that. I thought I had heard that.
1: It might be motorcycles. I could be wrong. That, but, yeah. you know, no other car type racing, maybe. I don't know what the details around that statistic are, but I think it's a very interesting one. And don't forget, Button is a world champion, which is yes. unlike Weber and unlike DC.
0: Yeah. Now, Claire Williams has come forward and said that Williams – will not does not intend to wait for a decision she says they need to make a call on what their driver lineup is they're trying to sort it out and if their lineups are if their timeline isn't in line with what McLaren is doing they will make their decision without waiting for it for McLaren or Jensen for that matter interesting yeah now
1: now, what if their decision is that they want Jensen?
0: Well, <laughs> that was what I was going to say is Williams hasn't released what that timeline is.
1: It's going to be stunning that that timeline is shockingly the same as the McLaren announcement.
0: And, and it may end up being something along the lines of that Williams turns around and, and, and looks at Jensen and says, you know what, we want you to come drive for us, regardless of what McLaren says, announce. Mm-hmm. And McLaren gets their hand forced.
1: Yeah, that could also be the case.
0: So, away from the track a little. The pit wall. We've got pit wall news. Pit wall. News. This is actually, I, I think, kind of surprising, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and this past week led to a lot of discussion as to the state of Ferrari. But James Allison who is their Ferrari's chief technical officer he is considered to be the genius behind aerodynamics over there has left Ferrari. Yeah,
1: he did. And that was a shocking and stunning announcement.
0: Well, it it wasn't it wasn't. It it was in the fact that there was a lot of good that James could do and James had a very strong influence on the aerodynamics of that car. And it does not sound like it's necessarily the aerodynamics or the issue. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in the fact that earlier this year, James lost his wife and he's got two young kids. And there was a lot of talk and a lot of concern over the fact that he wanted to, he did not want to sacrifice his kids and his family for his career, especially with Ferrari requiring him to work at a Marinello and him being English. Right. So there has has been some, th- some rumors, some speculation as to that, yeah, this may have been a mutual thing, but this may have been for family reasons and family reasons so that he could relocate to possibly an organization within England and within the Motorsports Valley.
1: You mean— possibly the instone team
0: potentially which he left to go to Ferrari right so we'll see what happens there the the team has come out and said that this is a it, it was a mutual decision and that they, they it was an amicable split that it wasn't you know screw you and a horse you rode in on yeah but that leads to the other question and, and the other things that are going on of what is going on over at Ferrari at the beginning of the season, this was the team that, based on what we saw last year, they were on the upswing. They, they won races last year when everybody laughed at them and didn't think that there was a, a prayer in the world of it. This year, they haven't won anything. They've made some awful strategy decisions, which have cost them races. They've made technical and aerodynamic decisions. Well, we don't know about aerodynamic, but we know that technical decisions that don't seem to be panning out. So what's going on over there? In a lot of ways, what we've seen over the last three or four weeks are kind of the same thing, or at least the same rumors that we heard in Fernando Alonso's last year, that Ferrari will look to go down an avenue of development and then at the last second pull back.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's definitely what I'm sensing is going on. I have a sense that we're going to hear more people departing from Ferrari. And a, a changing of the guard is about to occur yet again.
0: It, it does sound that way. Um, it, it sounds like there is a lack of leadership happening over there again. Um, what we started to see, and this is the other thing, is that Ferrari, over the years, tends to be relatively conservative. They don't like taking a lot of risks. They don't like going out on the edge. And what we saw earlier this year was a team that pushed harder. Mm-hmm. and they were riding on the edge. They were gambling outside of the bad strategy calls. They were gambling, but they were suffering because of it. They were There were some gearbox failures. There were engine failures. There were some mechanical problems that you just didn't see in Ferrari, but it was a Ferrari that was pushing. In the last couple of races, it doesn't seem like they're pushing as hard anymore. It doesn't seem like they're running that edge that gave him that extra little bit. And the number of times that we've walked into a, a weekend in the last month, month and a half of this looks like an opportunity that Ferrari's going to do well. This looks like a chance for Ferrari to do well. And then race day comes around and they're two, three seconds back.
1: Well, there's that. But I have to go back to, you know, they've made some bad strategy calls. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. But bad strategy calls, of course, are only judged in Hindsight. It, yeah. it, had those calls worked, which they didn't, unfortunately, but had they worked, they would have been considered genius. They, it was yet another example of them taking risk and gambling, which was outside the Ferrari philosophy in so very many ways. Had running that extra lap for, I mean, battle more than once, w- not destroyed the tire. Had the tire not yeah. blown up on them on that lap, they would have been genius. They would have accomplished the goal. So in one way, I can easily argue that they're taking risk. Um, They were at the beginning of the season taking a lot of risk to try to run on the edge, to try to change the paradigm. It bit them in the butt, and now they're going back to their old conservative ways.
0: And at this point, they've now fallen behind Red Bull. Mm-hmm where again we thought that they were going to this was going to be the team that was going to take it to Mercedes. Now admittedly at this point they've already made the call. Matiachi's Madi- come out and he has said that they have made the call that they are going to um, focus on the 2017 car. There's a couple of bits and pieces that they they were looking at for 2016, but really the main focus of the team and the main resources of the team are going to next year's car. Mm-hmm. And given it, they did not; they have not really picked up ground on the Mercedes. Yeah, seeing them slide back kind of makes sense. The concern here, though, is the replacement for James Allison, the Aero guy, is Mattia Bonotto, who's an engine guy.
1: Ooh, unless he's been striving to make aerodynamically sound engines, I'm a little concerned by that.
0: Yeah, and and. That's one of the the questions is, well, who's running their aero shop then? Because you can't have an engine guy make aero calls, and these cars are very, very aero dependent. Now, Ferrari has come out and said, and and Maurizio Arriva Bene has come out and said that, uh, yeah, we, and and I said Matiachi before, he's the old guy. Um, Arriva Bene, he's the new guy. Arriva Bene has said that, that, Uh, they're reorganizing the team quote without panicking Mm.
1: interesting I've never heard of let's put the engine people in charge of aerodynamics and just to talk for a second about how important aero is on these cars Mm -hmm. it is not a secret that Renault's Tag Heuer engine has less power than the Ferrari engine Mm -hmm. yet um, Red Bull has been able to Pull ahead of Ferrari because they can make it up in the corners. And that's where the arrow is so absolutely critical.
0: They're faster in the corners. They have a slower straight line speed, but they're faster in the corners than just about any other team, including, I think, Mercedes. Right. And that's always been Red Bull's, Red Bull and Rhino's um, foundation of their strategy.
1: Thank you, Adrian Newey.
0: Yeah. So we'll see what happens over at Ferrari and if we are destined for another 18 months of aimless, directionless wandering by Ferrari as we have had in the past? And then, of course, the question becomes, well, how does Sebastian Vettel take that? Because, and and that's been one of the other questions, is Sebastian came to that team because he felt this was a team on the bounce. This was a team that was that had finally started to figure out the struggles, and that's why he came over. And that's why last year, initially when everybody thought, well, this is a stupid move for Sebastian to make, almost as stupid as Fernando going to McLaren, they won three races, and everyone's going, well, wait a minute. Well, now we're back down again. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, yeah, we'll see how that part shakes out, too. So, rolling into the German Grand Prix, there was a meeting of the strategy group.
1: There was, and big changes came out of the strategy
0: group. The biggest was that the radio ban gone. Yes,
1: and there was much cheering throughout the land, mm-hmm. or at least in our house.
0: We'll, we'll wait and see. I, 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 yeah, there was more radio traffic. I think coming out of the summer break when the teams really have more than about two days to analyze what this means, I think things are going to really change for Spa and in particular for Monza. But Spa, I think this could have an impact on the starting procedures. Mm -hmm. Not the least of which is Spa is one of the few tracks where that start line sits on a slope away from the direction of travel. So there may actually be some conversations regarding clutch bite points and some of the other stuff that they banned last year starting at Spa. (laughs) Yes.
1: Now, there is still a – there is one caveat in the there is no radio ban in that the one time that the pit wall cannot talk to the drivers and it's period the end is on the formation lap. Yeah. That there's like radio silence for the formation lap, period, period, other than that, it is a free for all.
0: So we'll see how that works out. Um, there were some interesting conversations regarding strategy, which we'll get a little later. Okay. Um, the other big breaking news that came out of that was that the sport decided to not adopt the Halo for 2017, they haven't killed it completely. But they're pushing it back to twenty eighteen.
1: Well, then declaring that it's just not ready for twenty seventeen.
0: Yeah. Now Bernie apparently drove this bus to at the very least postpone it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like the halo. He thinks it's it's ugly. He doesn't want it. Um, interestingly enough, several of the drivers coming out of Hungary who were against the halo are now in support of it and are now upset by this decision interesting one of those drivers would be Lewis Hamilton interesting apparently the FIA gave a presentation at one of the drivers meetings before Hungary to illustrate the risks of not having the halo and to the benefits of it and all of those various pieces my my assumption is that it is something akin to the 50s driving safety videos
1: Oh, the film strips from our elementary school days in the
0: 70s? Well, since it was driving safety, it probably wasn't from our elementary school days, but the same general era. Yes. Um, With the beeps. Possi- there may have been beeps to have them change you know, things. There may have also, and this is pure speculation on my part, there may have also been pictures of somebody's car that crashed into the side of a tractor. Uh. Would be my guess. Although, I then temper that with, even if the halo was in place, it's judged that the impact would not have prevented what happened.
1: That's the thing, is you have to only look at, at crashes where uh, <coughs> injury and death were, could have been prevented by the actual halo. So probably not uh, Bianchi's crash... But the question is, do you wind up looking at something like Senna's crash?
0: Well, there's Senna's crash. There is also um, Moss's Mm -hmm. crash with the spring because that probably would have been deflected away from his head if there was some kind of cockpit protection. Um, there are a couple of other crashes, and I'm sure they showed videos of them firing tires at the cars and all this other stuff. To, But that apparently caused Lewis to be in favor of it.
1: Now, I want to go back to this firing tires at the car thing. Okay. Just for you know understanding the complete picture. Mm-hmm. The halo is designed to prevent a flying tire from hitting the, the driver's head mm-hmm. as it comes crashing around. A couple of years back, we tethered tires Mm -hmm. to the cars.
0: But as we have seen, those tethers are not a completely um, 100% successful solution in keeping uh, tires attached.
1: But they are far better than they were the year before.
0: They're they're better than they were, but we have still seen tires come free. We've seen it happen um, in the pit lane. Uh, Mark Weber leaving a pit lane and a camera guy getting nailed as a tire that was not properly secured to the car took off. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen other times where tires have popped off of Mark's car. Um, We've also seen, well, just last year over an IndyCar, which also requires tire tethers. That was the, the cause of death for Justin Wilson, was a tire that broke free from its tether hit him in the head. And I think that's one of the other big things that they're pushing is the fact that in that case, the Halo would have protected him. Now, one of the big things that the team bosses have been pushing is that, you know, yes, Formula One is pushing to get the Halo in and they want this. There is no other open cockpit series that is talking about doing anything like this, right. including IndyCar, including Indy Lights or, or GP2 or any of the other things. And the argument is... To some extent, and, and this has been an argument that's come up several times over the year for a variety of different things of you're not doing this in a junior series, you're not talking about doing this in a junior series, so then why are we only talking about doing this in Formula One?
1: You would think that the risk is greater in some of the junior series, too.
0: hmm Definitely. Interesting. The other thing that, that has been discussed is, you know, there's a lawsuit now in place— from the Bianchi Bianchi family against F1, and I think the FIA, but I don't think Manner's being sued, Um, a wrongful death lawsuit saying that the the sport did not do enough to protect him and, and implement appropriate safety procedures. And this is part of the reason why the Halo's being pushed out, and then becomes the question, well, okay, if another driver gets injured in the next 18 months before Halo or something similar comes out there, does this not leave the sport in a tenuous position because, from a legal perspective? Because the sport acknowledges that there is a risk of this mm-hmm. and is going so far as to develop a solution but has delayed that for a variety of different reasons. And Bernie has come out. He doesn't think that that's an issue.
1: Well, I'm glad that he doesn't think that's an issue, and it may not be. I mean, there's there's principle out there that says, "Yes, we know there is a risk to 4X. We have to come up with a reasonable solution for that risk." And if that reasonable solution is not there yet, has not been developed sufficiently. Yeah. Then what you don't want to have done, I think it would be a greater lawsuit risk if they put they slapped something on the car. You still got the injury, and then it was determined that that piece that they they feigned an, uh, an illusion of safety is basically what you could yeah. you could wind up with if they're not a hundred percent sure that this would prevent something. That is a real and imminent danger, you have an illusion of safety. And that's, that I think is a bigger risk legally.
0: Just yeah. throwing it out there. So we'll see how this shakes out and, and where this goes. We should be seeing the halo a bit more. Uh, one of the agreements that was made was, or the acknowledgement that the only real testing of this halo and experience that anybody has with this halo is on the car is three drivers doing installation laps right so there is a push and expectation that we will see it on more cars for more testing sessions so that more drivers can get an impression of it and what it feels like to drive under it and potentially also to get it out for longer than just an installation lap, which I don't, I, I've not understood why they're, they're. well, we'll just take it out for a lap, see what it looks like, and then bring it back. No, let, let the drivers experience it for a little bit and see what the effects are having it on the car for a longer period of time. The challenge, I think, is that the teams have their own testing program that they want to get, and this added bit to the car interfere. It's not how they're going to run the car over the weekend or how they would even consider running the car over the weekend. So doing that during the, the practice sessions impacts their own practice strategies.
1: It would be an interesting piece to have them carve out a special testing day for the Halo so that all the teams get an extra day of testing, yeah. but they have to run with the Halo during that day of
0: testing. Well, that's the thing. Why did they do it during one? during why didn't they make it a requirement that during the in-season tests on a day that was not dedicated to a young driver that they had to put in, you know, 50-60 laps with the halo fitted?
1: I don't know. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's political reasons for that.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about the German Grand Prix. Okay. Let's look at an incomprehensible map of the race course, shall we? I can't make heads or tails out of it. You? Uh, no clue, but no doubt it'll be exciting. I'm not sure this was exciting. It was okay. It, we've had worse races. We've arguably had worse races at Hockenheim. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, let's talk a Let's look at some of the Renault track facts, shall okay. we? Okay. So lowest starting position for a winner at the German Grand Prix. And, you know, they're not really clear since we've had the german grand prix at hockenheim and we've had it at nurburgring and now there's talk that there could be another german track coming into play here um so i'm not clear whether this is just for hockenheim or this is the german grand prix as a whole but uh, according to Renault, the lowest starting position for a winner was 18 Mm -hmm. with the average starting position for the winner being 2.44 okay um renault as a constructor has had just one victory here okay and there was a 24 percent chance for a safety car with 32 winners from pole so some facts about germany yes the fabled german autobahn network has no federally mandated speed limits which everybody knows although a lot of sections have mandatory or temporary restrictions but an estimated uh However, an estimate reported that 52% of the Autobahn network is still unlimited.
1: Mm.
0: Although from what we hear, it may be unlimited, but traffic may be limiting you in its own (laughs) right. Yeah. The annual meat consumption per person in Germany is 61 kilograms. There are more than 1,500 different types of sausage with common varieties including the broadwurst made of pork and herbs currywurst served with curried ketchup, and bloodwurst made with blood.
1: Okay, the grin on your face as you get to talk about how sausage is made is a little, <laughs> a little too big. Um, now, what is 61 kilograms in weights of masses?
0: Actually, I was grinning because bratwurst was made with pork and herbs and not pork and something else. <laughs> so that was really the only reason why I was grinning, to be clear here. <laughs> <laughs> And no, don't try and explain to me what parts of the pork are in there. (laughs) We don't want to know this. You do
1: not want to know how the sausage is made.
0: No. Um, Angela Merkel, chancellor of Germany since 2005, was ranked as the world's second most powerful person in Forbes magazine in 2012. In 2009, Mattel celebrated 50 years of Barbie by producing an Angela Merkel Barbie doll.
1: Oh, that's so awesome. (laughs) That is completely and utterly awesome.
0: Now, the Angela Merkel fact that I will that I have that I will bring up mm-hmm. is, you know, she presides over the unified Germany. But she is old enough to have grown up in a divided Germany. Mm-hmm. She is actually East German. Oh, really? So raised in a communist system under a totalitarian communist regime leading a democratic government, a unified democratic government
1: successfully yeah no i have a lot of respect for her i really do she's she's a strong very powerful woman um
0: you know just throwing it out there but i approve okay so this week we saw the super soft soft and medium tires um in 2014 which was the last time we were at hockenheim there were 65 overtakes Which is interesting considering there's a lot of talk that this is one of those tracks that's supposed to be not that easy to pass. You just have to pass in the right place.
1: I am so overhearing (laughs) it. I got to tell you that that comes up almost every single race. It's very difficult to pass at this racetrack. Somebody has to be able to pass somehow, some way. It's not a procession. I'm sorry. Passing is always possible. Max Verstappen proved that.
0: 65 overtakes... On a 67 lap race. See? Somebody's doing it. Um, the current circuit length, and this, this has been a big talking point here. The current circuit length is 4.574 mi- uh, kilometers. Right. But this used to be, up until about 2002, a much, much longer track. And a lot of the talk this week is not only was it a longer track, it was a completely different experience to drive before the track was shortened. Because this used to be a Monza-esque high-speed blast through the woods. As opposed to now a track that is a Tilki redesign that twists around and bends on itself. um, That just gets narrower and narrower as you get deeper and deeper into the lap.
1: But again, you have turned how many times people complain about the fact that it was redesigned into a drinking game.
0: Yeah. So... Well, I, I think some of why they're talking about it is is the um, remote hope that maybe they can get it brought back. Because when you look at the aerial shots, you can still see the original path of the track. It's, still, it's getting overgrown, but it is overgrown. I don't think it's realistic to even hope for that because a track that length would require refueling. Mm. And I don't think that, we're going to see refueling ever come back, let alone the fact that I'm not sure Germany in its current state would allow them to go tear down woodlands to put back a racetrack.
1: I can't imagine. I can't imagine. The
0: one thing I do think that they should do, actually I think it's vitally important that they do it. From what I have heard, um, the... Jimmy Clark that died there? Yes. There's a monument to Jimmy Clark in the woods where he died, but at the tree where he died, the track used to run past it because he was run, he was driving on the track in a race when it happened. Now that they have ripped that part of the track out and that is not part of the circuit, my understanding is that area is getting very overgrown and it's hard to find the monument and it's hard to get out there. What I truly think Hockenheim should do, and, and honestly, I think if Merce- at a minimum Mercedes, if not F1 as a whole should do, is they should strongly consider building either a walking path or a jogging path or some sort of maintained path out to that monument and maintaining that monument. Let the rest of it grow in and naturalize in whatever, but make sure that that is preserved.
1: Well, I think that is an honor to Jimmy Clark that you are right. I think you have to maintain an ability for fans to be able to pay their respects, for the drivers to pay their respects. I was going to say, not
0: just the fans. Um, uh,
1: because that's something that a lot of the drivers do do while they are at Hockenheim. Drivers and press. Go out there to, to pay their respects. Um, that was a, a tragic day. And um, in case lest anyone forget, Jimmy Clark was driving in a GP2 race that day. He was a Formula One driver. He was he there was not a race going on that weekend. And he just got into a car for GP2 to go driving.
0: Well, back then, the attitude was if you were a race driver and there was a race, you were in it Mm -hmm. regardless of the series. And he hopped in the car, and it's believed that something broke on the car and he lost control and ended up in a tree. Yeah. So, this year's race.
1: This year's race.
0: Some of the notable things that happened. Going back to Ferrari.
1: Yeah. That's... You know,
0: we talked about um, discussions over strategy, and I did not pull the audio for it. I, I probably did. Still, should and need to, but it's been a busy couple of weeks, so I have not pulled the audio for it. Um, but one of the more notable moments was, shall we say, some discussions, mild mm-hmm. disagreements regarding when to pit Sebastian Vettel. Oh yes. On the one hand, I like Vettel questioning these kind of things. I, I like the driver saying, "Are you sure that's the right way to go? You know, I think this is good, and and we continue and." From the respect of, if we want the driver to be the superhero, this is the kind of thinking that we want the driver to have. Mm-hmm. But in a nutshell, Ferrari called Vettel in for tires, and Vettel decided on his own to stay out. As he radioed back, the tire, he felt that the tires were fine, and that he could go further on them and could go deeper on them. And the team... Didn't feel the same.
1: <laughs> there was a disagreement.
0: Um, ultimately, what came out was well, what they told Vettel was that they believed that if they pulled him in sooner, he might have possibly had the chance to undercut Ricardo mm. because of the, the by changing that strategy up. The only flaw in that, which most of the press picked up on, was that Vettel was nowhere near Ricardo, and the odds of him catching up to Ricardo in time to do an undercut, were about slim to none.
1: Right. Plus, you would have lost the 20 seconds in the pits to try to get to that
0: undercut point. But Vettel came out and said, you know, I was probably wrong. Hmm? Vettel, Vettel, I guess, looked at the data and came out and said, you know, I probably had a better chance of putting the cars under pressure um, I, I think he realized that there was a better chance for him undercutting and catching up if he had pitted as opposed to staying out there and, and pushing those tires as hard as he could. Um, and actually by him, even just the two extra laps that he stayed out there arguing with the team, um, completely lost that opportunity to catch up.
1: Well, hopefully all parties have learned something.
0: Well, Seb says that he did and, and that he was wrong and he apologized to the team. But the fact that he is questioning the team does kind of now make you wonder what is going on in that team or wonder more what's going on in that team.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you definitely have that question in your mind. But I also have the impression that Seb challenges the team a lot. He pushes them to really be sure of what they're doing. And he's not above questioning them, even if he trusts what they're ultimately going to say. But he kind of wants to know more.
0: He wants to be a leader of that team, not just a driver. I I think that's the best way to put it. He really wants to, to lead that team as opposed to just being a driver for that team.
1: Exactly. And because of that, I think that it's completely acceptable for him to ask the question, but, you know, could he have done it in a lap versus two laps? I mean, what would that have gained him? But we can't go backwards in time.
0: So the only other news was up at the front of the grid. Truly. Now, in a nutshell, much like in Hungary, you can summarize the races thus. Light turned green, or, or lights went out. Lewis got a good start, ran away, the end. <laughs> much yes. like Hungary, that that was essentially what happened. And and how much like Hungary this happened. Now, now Lewis had said in Hungary that, that he was controlling that race. Um, it was a race that you didn't need to blow out ahead because of the, the nature of the track. Um, so he was never in concern about anything happening behind him because he, you know... Four or five seconds was all he needed to, to keep the race the way he wanted it to run. In Germany, Lewis has come out and said he turned down that engine on lap two. <laughs> now, some of it was, you know, he, we know he's at the ragged edge on those engines. Mm-hmm. So it, it's if there's any way he can preserve those engines and, and put less strai- less strain on them and less stress on them, he could but he turned down that engine on lap two. There were a couple of times that he turned it up because you know they were getting ready to pit or whatever that he just needed to manage the gap. But for the most part, he was running in a low energy mode that entire race.
1: Okay, but he also... But look in his rear view mirror. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Two. Lights went out. Nico spun and couldn't get off the line like he should have.
0: Nico had a horrible, horrible start.
1: Ricardo blew past
0: him. Ricardo and Max both blew past him.
1: Um, I mean, just in beautiful Red Bulls starts. I mean, it, that was gorgeous. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, Nico is fighting for fourth. Yeah. Down in fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth for a while. No hope of getting any higher. And Lewis can do the math as well as I can. In straight line speed, the Red Bulls can't catch you. And you've got two Red Bulls between you and the only car on that track that could catch you. Think about it.
0: Yeah. No, I mean— He, I,
1: he saw that by lap two and said, eh, I got this. And he just had to keep it between the white lines.
0: I mean, certainly had this race well in hand. That being—and and I, I'm going to question the can't catch you. Because Nico in particular, when he was dicing it up with them, with the red bulls the red bulls were keeping pace with him pretty easily well the the red bulls have definitely found something
1: oh i'm not doubting that they have found something but remember what we were talking about earlier about the importance of aerodynamics Mm -hmm. this particular racetrack has got a section that has got a high speed straight Mm -hmm. and then there's a whole bunch of twisty bits
0: yep through the, the old stadium section
1: right now those twisty bits are where Red Bull couldn't gain back a little bit of time. They lose that time in every lap on that high-speed straight. Mm -hmm. That's where this is a very balanced track in that regard. The problem is that you need a car that's like the Mercedes to be able to catch you up. Yes, Nico could push, but keep in mind, Nico was right behind the Red Bulls. He was pushing to them, but he couldn't get past them. Yeah. And he struggled that whole race.
0: Th- this was not a good weekend for Nico. And honestly, there there's a lot of looking at what just happened to Nico's season. Oh, yeah. And, and I think there need to be a lot of questions about that. And Nico needs to have some soul searching. And I think the team needs to sit down and talk with Nico because – here you go from, what was it?
1: 43-point lead. Well,
0: not just 43 points, but he won, what was it, six races in a row. Four of which were this season alone.
1: It was three and three. He might have won four, the first four of this season.
0: And then everything just kind of fell apart. Mm-hmm. With Lewis's now won four straight races. How, I mean... As we were walking into Barcelona, and, and admittedly, yeah, we kind of questioned that folks were doing it, but as we were walking into Barcelona, it truly looked like, and even Lewis had accepted, that the, for him the battle was going to be for second place. Mm-hmm. was going to be making sure that that he did not slip any further back in the order, and that that was the best that he could hope for. I don't think there was anybody out there that expected that come this time of the year it would be a 19 point difference and lewis would be up
1: wow i mean there's definitely there's definitely the issue of the fact that nico has fallen away and lewis by contrast and lewis loves being the underdog Mm -hmm. and he loves Fighting for whatever it is. And truthfully, Lewis doesn't do so well when he's suddenly really far ahead. Yeah. So I think that at some point, the 43 points behind really turned up Lewis's motivation to fight. And we know Nico crumbles when Lewis fights.
0: Now, Lewis has come out, and, and I think some of this is, you know... the just like Nico, who says that he doesn't think about the points in the lead. And, but but Lewis has said that, yeah, I'm 19 points out, but I really don't accept that I'm in the lead. And the big reason that he keeps putting forward for that is I still have at least one engine penalty to go. Yeah. So he says that I can't think of myself as being in the lead. Now, that being said, again, you know, it's like Nico saying, that. well, I'm not thinking about the points. Yeah, sure you are. Hmm nice try <laughs> we're not counting, that stupid
1: you're counting this every single night yeah. i get that
0: now to to get an idea of how bad nico's weekend was and and i'm sorry in in watching what happened he diced it up with, with max verstappen again and despite what nico wants to say despite what a whole bunch of other folks want to say that this was not the same as what happened with him and lewis and in Austria the move that he attempted to make on Max and, yeah, it pulled it off without damaging the car this time, it was the same thing he went to do with Lewis in Austria. Mm -hmm. It was the exact same thing. He decided to straight line into a turn to push his opponent out, and it worked. This time he didn't damage the car, but he got penalized for it, for pushing somebody off the track. And I honestly, I think that it was the right decision oh yeah now nico's argument what he says and 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 i've heard a little bit more about it and i understand a little bit more about it is well he was at full lock and he you know he couldn't turn in and he was doing what he could and that's the line he had to take the way i had initially heard that which didn't jive with the actual video was when he said he was at full lock I was thinking he meant the steering wheel. He wasn't. Mm. He was talking the brakes, that his brakes were on full, and the risk of at that point with his brakes being on full turning the wheel, that that would have had an impact on what was on the race and position and all of that stuff. That's what he was saying but he had that because he was at full lock on his brakes because he was pushing deeper into the corner and braking later to push Max away. At which point I say... "Mm -hmm." Eh, Chicken egg.
1: Now, we listened to DC's commentary through this particular corner, and I have to tell you I love what DC said, which was, if you're going to make a move like that, lock up your tires just a little bit so it looks like you had a problem.
0: Yeah. Do, Do something so it looks like you're making an effort somewhere. Yeah. As opposed to what he did, which, especially looking at the in-car video, there was no effort made to turn until he was almost completely at the, you know, off the track. Right. And that's when he did it. And and what we talked about in Austri- Austria was that you go into the turn, but you get wider as you're in the turn, as opposed to driving straight and then turning at the last minute. Exactly. Which is what Nico's doing. So, Nico gets a, a penalty for this, a five-second stop-go penalty, which it turns out, and, and as we watched it, and I'm sitting there and I'm counting it, I'm going, that's longer than five seconds. Yep. That's still longer than five seconds. And then they're going, he's in there an awfully long time. And it turns out that, he was, that the, the delay that there was before the team touched the car, as opposed to five seconds, was eight seconds.
1: And three seconds makes a huge difference.
0: Well, you know, it does.
1: No, I wasn't being sarcastic. That was not okay. actually sarcastic. <laughs> I, I mean, was... in the world where a thousandth of a second can win or lose pole position, three seconds is a lifetime.
0: Yeah. Well, Toto Wolf was asked what happened here.
1: I love his answer.
0: And what he said, his exact words here, Believe it or not, even in Formula One team, a stopwatch can fail. Can fail. That's what happened, so we took it safe. We think it's five seconds, but Standard, just longer, just in case. Uh, how do you not have multiple stopwatches plus somebody counting?
1: Yeah. Well, why is somebody not doing one, one Mississippi, yeah. two Mississippi? There's that piece of it, and I get it. Maybe they go to six Mississippi so that they're sure if their stopwatch fails. But he also said in one of the other interviews, which is the part that I love the most, Mm -hmm. it's not like we've ever practiced a five-second penalty. We don't get them very
0: often. And that's a valid one.
1: He's not one of the teams that they get those. There's other teams that are better at it because they do it all the time.
0: Yes, but this is where I have to be impartial because if this was Lewis— you know a lot of the press and a lot of the people talking would have absolutely lost their crap Mm -hmm. over how something as simple as a $2.50 stopwatch, or better yet, an iPhone, wasn't used to meter the time. I mean, okay, great, A, a stopwatch. How do you not have multiple stopwatches running and multiple people watching them because you collect every single possible stat around a pit stop. And if the primary stopwatch failed, how is it you didn't have on at least three other consoles other timers that were going with other stuff that they could have quickly and easily made the call of, go now! Or there wasn't Patty Lowe or somebody else going, uh, guys, it's been more than five seconds. Go, Come on. You know, three seconds, yeah, in this case, was a huge eternity, and there should have been multiple eyes and multiple things watching clocks and stuff to make sure that it was moving. And I don't care what the driver was. Th- this seems to be something fairly silly and fairly stupid that they should have been able to avoid.
1: Okay. In the let's be impartial for a minute section of the show,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to tell you that if this happened to Lewis, the conspiracy theorists would be up in arms. Yeah. The fact that it happened to Nico, and I'm going to be honest here, and I'm going to say what everybody's thinking that they don't to want to say – I don't think people like Nico like they like Lewis. And so because it happened to Nico, everybody's you. going, it couldn't happen to a better guy.
0: I'm going to stop you there, okay? And, and and you went a little further that I wanted to stop you there, but on this whole idea that you don't think people like Nico like the way they like Lewis. Here we are at the German Grand Prix. Yep. Okay? Yeah, we have Mercedes, which is a German team, and, and has a German driving for it who is – contesting the championship we have another german driving who is a four-time world champion Mm -hmm. we have another german driving who is considered one of if not the up-and-comer into the sport and five live is in germany or or not five live channel four is in germany in the campgrounds with the germans partying with the germans who apparently party very hard for the german grand prix and one of the things that they did while they were partying was to find out who the drivers were rooting for the vast majority of the german fans are rooting for lewis hamilton not a german driver
1: does that tell you anything
0: any of the german drivers So the other thing we'll mention about Hockenheim. Mm -hmm. It appeared, from what we could see in the videos, to be a packed stadium. Yeah. It appeared. However, just past turn one, you may have noticed the Rolex banners covering three sections of seats. Attendance for race day weekend was 58,000.
1: Wow, that's really low.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's not good.
0: Now, some of it is believed to be because of... right. Th- this is a bad time for Formula One to be in Germany. There is a lot of autosport-related stuff going on in and around Germany over those few weeks. Plus, Hungary is only about four or five hours away from Hockenheim. There's a lot of things that week competing for German fans' attention. Mm. and you add on top of it f1 is expensive and all the other things that f1 does to shoot itself in the foot
1: and i think tickets for hungary are significantly cheaper than Hockenheim. yes so if i'm going to drive four hours more to have half you know have some savings mm-hmm. the germans are an infinitely practical people let's, yeah. let's stay with that too <laughs> yeah
0: um There's still the oddball thing going of rotating German Grand Prix between Hockenheim and somebody. It has mm. already been confirmed Hockenheim will not be hosting in 2017, but there's no understanding of where it might be going next year. There's a rumor that I believe it's called the Stats Ring, which hmm. is another German track May be looking to get F1 in there. Now that's the ring, coincidentally. <coughs> you shouldn't meant to talk about this. Um Daniel Ricardo yes. got a bit of press on the podium for during the ceremony taking one of his shoes off, pouring champagne into it, and drinking champagne from it.
1: Ew 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 ew
0: He tells the story post race of what this was and what happened and again something else i probably should have the the audio from and i don't i apologize for that but he explains it that um the week before or two weeks before was um a moto gp race mm-hmm. where one of his buddies was racing and, and, and won the race and it was apparently an, an, a really good race and and uh, Daniel says that when the race happened and it was the podium ceremony, one of one of his mates texted him and said, "You know, it was a great race, and what's his face? This guy's up on a podium." And Daniel texted back, "Watch when he's up on the podium, he's going to do a shoeie." This whole thing—it's it, an Australian thing—and as Daniel says, imagine that blokes screwing around with alcohol with alcohol is an Australian thing. He said, but it's an Australian thing of you know a big event or something like that. You pour the the celebratory alcohol into the shoe and drink it from the shoe, and it's called a, they call it a shoeie. And he had already made the besides the fact that he knew his buddy was going to do it when he won, he had made the decision that this season when he won a race. He was going to be up on a podium, and he was going to do a shoey. And he came to the conclusion this past weekend that odds are he probably wasn't going to win a race, but it was a really good race for him. He ended up in second, and this was his 100th race. Right. So he made the decision to do a shooey. Okay, <laughs> and the rest of the world is going ew. So, well, he was asked about that. He said, "Well, you know, you know, how was it? Did it taste funny or smell funny?" He's like, "No, there was enough alcohol in there that <laughs> it, it killed off whatever smell there was, and you know, it, it tasted like it should have."
1: Oh my! <laughs> oh my!
0: So, the reason that we didn't have uh, a show last week was last week was the honda indy 2000 200 200 i'm sorry yes honda indy (laughs) two i added a zero (laughs) well there there may have been parts of that race that that may have seemed a little long so let's talk a little indy We need to resurrect the indie music.
1: I was going to say, we haven't heard the indie music in so very long. <laughs> so we spent three solid days at the
0: Mid-Ohio Racetrack. Mid-Ohio Motorsport or, or Sports Car Course is the official name. We've got to get it right one of these shows. One of The them. Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course.
1: <laughs> Lovingly shortened to Mid-Ohio. Yeah. In beautiful Lexington, oh. Ohio.
0: It actually is a really nice uh, location, and, and for a racetrack is fairly nice. Um, one of the commentators on, I think it was IndyCar Radio, um, said that imagine you took a state park and plunked a racetrack in it, and that's kind of what this is.
1: Um, it does feel that way. Yeah. It, it definitely feels that way. I, there are some things about that particular venue that for a, a sports venue – I have to tell you, I really like, there's a lot of green space. There's mm-hmm. a lot of trees around it. There's generally some shade to be found in some spots. <laughs> um, there have a couple of different uh, food concession stands. I have to tell you the food was good. Yeah. Food wasn't expensive either. <laughs> um, which I really liked. Um, of course we've mentioned before we have season passes. So we had pit passes for the whole weekend. Um, Which the accessibility was incredible.
0: Well, even without us having our passes. um, Formula One, the only way you are getting access into the paddock and into the pits is if you are either a guest of the team or you have paddock club passes. Period. The end. Mm -hmm. There is no other way you're getting down there. With IndyCar, you can buy for an entire season. If you wanted to go to every single race... You could buy, I want to say it's for 1600 bucks. $2,500. $2,500. You could buy uh, pit and paddock access for the entire year, every single race.
1: And that includes the race ticket,
0: by the mm-hmm. um, if you don't do that, you only go to one race. I want to say it was it was either ten or twenty bucks. It was pretty damn cheap.
1: It was. I think it was twenty bucks for this the Mid Ohio one. I don't know if it changes. At the
0: entrance to the paddock, you could pay for access to the pit and paddock.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. Twenty bucks, and if I remember correctly, the majority of that money is supposed to go to charity. Right, they're not even keeping it for themselves.
1: So, yes, and also with the, the, um, the great access comes a lot of people going down it, there.
0: It does, and we were already out of, and, and i got to call this out, because we were already out of the paddock when this had happened, race day. They have the fan pit and garage walk. And basically what this is, to compare this to Formula One, because that's our big comparison there, um, it, IndyCar does not do a standing start. Mm-hmm. So they do a driver parade, everybody gets in the cars, and off they go. The the pit and garage walk is essentially if they turned around and opened up the grid just before the formation lap to everybody who had access to the pits and who paid access. Now, in this case, being IndyCar, this is a few thousand fans.
1: <laughs> yes
0: that are down there as the drivers are trying to make their way into the pit lane to hop in their cars for the parade and the announcements and introductions and all of that stuff as the teams are getting ready to fire off the race and there's a few thousand fans on the starting grid. Mm -hmm.
1: It's great pictures of them all running off the starting grid. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that part was very cool. So let's back up for a minute. We were there for three days. Mm Mm-hmm uh friday we were there for practice yes um and there in addition to actually indycar there was indy lights there's a mazda series there was pirelli world challenge there was well
0: there were multiple mazda series because mazda apparently is the title sponsor for the various development series that are used to grow the drivers into indycar
1: correct
0: so there's two or three series
1: mazda road to indy yes series. And so there's several, I think there were like four or five different series that were going, racing and stuff Mm -hmm. that was going on through the weekend. Um, Which is also fascinating in the pits to watch because if you're not, IndyCar has the garages that are right there on the pits. Right. Everybody else has to bring all of their pit equipment from whatever spot in the parking lot that they are housed in.
0: Rolling it down in their cars. Yeah.
1: And that's just, it's kind of fascinating to watch the the connections of all of that so it was practice day on third on friday um that day we watched a lot of the second practice from the pit lane that was yes. when we took pictures actually like on pit lane if you were following us as you should have been in our Twitter and um friend face, face. friend face yes on on the interwebs Um, If you were following us, you would have seen us taking pictures, well, me taking pictures with Max Chilton and Alexander Rossi. Um,
0: Which, unfortunately, for Alexander in particular, I was really bummed because, and I missed this, because if I was there, I would have asked the question. I did not get a chance to talk to Alexander because we were stalking him. We truly were. I will freely admit this. We were stalking Alexander. You were were sitting, charging your phone because (laughs) there's little, there's stand-up kiosk in the pit lane with tvs so you can see the track action and cell phone charging stations
1: thank you verizon
0: <laughs> so so you're sitting over in front of one of these tvs charging up your cell phone and i decide i'm going to go wandering down because i spot rossi's physio go walking by and i follow rossi's physio down to the pit box and i'm watching him unpack some stuff and i'm trying to get some semblance of some idea of when alexander's going to be headed down So i'm thinking if the physio is there he's got to be on his way he finishes unpacking and he goes and he grabs himself a drink and I turn around to head back and as I'm walking back up, there's Patricia standing next to Alexander Rossi. She's grabbing her phone. So- <laughs> 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 now,
1: allow me to explain how this all happened. I'm staying there. I'm across from my phone. I'm watching the TV driver in his uh, race suit walks up i recognize him instantly as alexander rossi i confirm by looking at his belt uh, (laughs) to make sure that that was his name and i look over at him i said hey alexander can i get a selfie with you oh sure thing and you know i go grab my phone i'm fumbling with my phone because i'm suddenly (laughs) nine thumbs and I said something about, well, that just shows how prepared I am. He goes, oh, don't worry. I mean, patient as he could be, great yeah. big smile on his face. He was happy as a clam to do it. And there was it was just really cool. It was a really neat little moment with Alexander. Of course, I didn't think fast enough to ask him anything either, yeah. other than can I have a selfie with you. Um,
0: so then we move over to the uh, Gallagher-Chip Ganassi racing pit box for – where Max Chilton is. Right, and to stalk Max. <laughs> to, to go stalk Max. And, and we go sit down and I, and I lean over and I look at their little pit wall structure thing and I'm going, Max is over here already. And Trisha goes, no, he's not. I'm going, yes, that's Max, the guy in a race suit. That's it. No, that's not him.
1: Well, I saw and the he... <laughs> guy in the race suit, but he looked a lot older than the little kid picture that is Max <laughs> Chilton. So I kept looking at him like, and you're looking at him, Caddy corner from behind and you expect yeah. me to recognize this guy
0: and he he, he climbs down and, and initially trisha yells out and gets away from him and then calls out to him and he, hey can i get a selfie with you and he comes wandering over sure no problem and yeah some
1: other guy was over there getting pictures with him i wound up taking their pictures together that guy's gone to a bunch of races that was a little weird yeah well um but yeah max was a good guy smiles he is a little as he can be because that picture well. i have my arm around him <laughs> and i am telling you he's that skinny he he's is a skinny, skinny dude
0: he's a skinny dude
1: um yeah i it, it he's he's little i mean Alexander is thin, but he's tall. I mean, if you see from the selfie, you can get a sense of, I'm not. Yeah, he's a tall guy. Not that tall, but he's bent over to be in the selfie with me. Max is not that much taller than me, and I think you're taller than he is.
0: That may be. Um, Your other brush with greatness, shall we say?
1: (laughs) Brush is a good word. (laughs) Was
0: um, almost getting run over by Juan Pablo Montoya as he rode by on a scooter. Yep. Um, that that was he one was of those
1: unremorseful. Cl-
0: that was one of those classic moments. As, as you know, we're walking through this crowd alongside the the trailers, and I see Juan Pablo. And I poke her, and I go, "Hey, look, there's Juan Pablo." As she steps out in front of him,
1: and the truth is, I wasn't trying oh. to step out in front of him. I wasn't I wasn't trying to step out in front of anybody. The person in front of me stopped, and I tried to avoid <coughs> running into the back of them by taking. The only path I could take, <laughs> um, which was the open spot, which just so happened to be where Juan Pablo was driving with his scooter. Now, he neither apologized, nor was he at all remorseful. And he, he didn't he did even not... turn back.
0: He yeah, just he kept going. He didn't check to see if I was okay. He didn't slow Nothing. down. It was, yeah.
1: Nothing. So, yeah. Now, in contrast, I will say this. I didn't get a picture or talk to Helio Castronaves. Elio. Elio. Okay. I'm H not... is silent. I understand that, but I'm never good at that. Um, anyway, he was running around on a scooter and that man stopped for every fan that went to talk to him.
0: The other one that we saw quite a bit, we saw Sebastian Bourdais running around quite a bit too. Mm -hmm. Um, he also, we were never prepared anytime we saw him. We didn't realize who he was until afterwards. Um, but we saw him quite a bit. Uh, Sadly,
1: we are not as familiar with their faces as we are with Formula One people's. Um, they all wear different uniforms. We kind of get a little confused. We're easily confused that way. <laughs> um, so there was a lot of the oh that was just as they walked completely past us. Yeah. Um, we did that with Connor Daly at least twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all was good. I mean it was it was good being down in the pits and enjoying that piece.
0: Um, Well, you know, one of the neat experiences that we got was during qualifying, um, Max Chilton's engine, well, it exploded.
1: It wasn't qualified. Actually,
0: no, it was 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 the the warm-up. Warm-up on race day. Yes. His his engine kind of devoured itself. Yeah. Um, Since we had pit lane access, we wandered over there, and and, um, mid-Ohio has catwalks so that you can look down into the garages, and we watched... Um, a good portion of that engine replacement, as the the teams, and I have to say teams, because um, Max is part of what's essentially a four car team, even though he, his is a Gallagher car. But Scott Dixon and
1: let's see, It's Dixon in the Target car, it's somebody else in the NTT car, and that's there was,
0: Tony Kanon in the NTT car.
1: And there was a third car that I can't remember. All of their pit crew guys, mechanics, were around max chilton's car yeah
0: it was it was essentially four different teams of mechanics working to replace this engine in about an hour i had And, and to understand and much and this is just like in formula one that engine is an integral part of the structure of the car
1: yeah, kind of holds the front end to the back end together.
0: Yeah. So this was a complete and total disassembly of the entire back end of the car, transmission and everything, to get the engine out, uncrate it, remove the various bits, put it back in, seal it all up, in, and, and get it going. And there's no testing or, or anything other than they can start it up in the pit lanes, but there's nothing else, mm-hmm. and get out there and run.
1: Now, there are a few key notable pieces of that particular portion that I have to call out. Okay. First, I counted as many as 12 people working on that car at one, any given time yes. inside a garage that is roughly the size of anyone's spare bedroom.
0: Yeah, th- this is not the pretty fancy F1 trackside garage. You know, there, there's no air conditioning, there's no overhead lights and fancy video displays, or. Anything like that. There's cobwebs on the ceiling. and <laughs> yeah,
1: it, It's it's a barn. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's call it what it is. It's a barn. Um, there were 12 people working on that card at any given time. The conversation between the guys that were working on it was minimal to none. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they didn't like each other. It's that they all had a job to do. They knew what their job they were doing was, and they only spoke if they had to. There was no chit-chatting. There was nothing else. Um, they were constantly taking something off and putting it in a box and the box was getting pulled away. I mean, the, the rotation of the tools and everything going where it was supposed to go was a dance that was incredible to watch. The other piece of this that was also really, really cool was they did this in an hour. The car is held together primarily with zip ties. Yeah. (laughs) Just in case you were curious, the car is held together with zip ties. Um, every part every piece is so precisely put together by the time we started watching we stood there for about 40 minutes total and watched this occur mesmerized by the time we walked away that car the new engine was being zip tied on basically um they were putting the, the car back together incredible they rebuilt the uh radiators they rebuilt if it's a turbocharger or some sort of supercharger the the
0: turbos were replaced i mean manifolds
1: Um, this that the other bits incredible bits and pieces um and it just all happens and oh they don't share tools
0: no they don't
1: Every guy's got his own toolbox. One of the guys from the Target team brought his toolbox into the garage.
0: Uh, I don't think he was the only one.
1: Yeah. It was was an incredible watch. And if you ever want to understand how a company should have people be able to work together and that concept of know your job, do your job, Mm -hmm. that was the picture of it. That was the most hands-on picture that you could point to and say they all had a single goal, a single purpose, and they all did their own little piece for it. They're, they didn't even bump into each other i mean yeah. it's like they didn't have to look they just knew where the other person was in that room it was phenomenal to watch can you tell i got fascinated <laughs> um and max chilton actually made it onto the track and he finished the race he did which there was a me and one of the young kids that was watching this happen we were chatting and he goes you know in my experience they almost never finish the race when they have to do this on race day because they can't run the engine in, they can't test it, they can't
0: do well, anything. Oh, we've, we've seen in Formula One they managed to pull that off. Um, one of the, the other big differences that was highlighted with IndyCar as opposed to Formula One, you know, is Formula One, that car shuts off, you're done. Right. That's it. There, there's no more to happen right. with it. Uh, in this race, there was a fairly major incident. And we did not, unfortunately, it was... The other side of the track from where we were we, we saw the smoke from it we didn't see much else uh, but there was a fairly major incident between elio castroneves and scott dixon which crushed his suspension dixon ended up in in the the dirt castroneves was able to keep going um but they towed his car off dixon's car yeah dixon's car was towed off he he, he walked away from it and no injuries there but what they ended up doing was towing the car off back to the garage, at which point the mechanics went to work on the car, repairing it. And 45 laps later, Dixon drives out of the paddock, out of the pit lane, and back out onto the track. And runs for a couple more races, or a couple more laps.
1: Right. I think he did five more laps on that. Mm -hmm. Now, there were two reasons for that within IndyCar. Now, that's so different than what we know from Formula One. But... There were two reasons for that. One is he needed to get a minimum number of miles on that engine so he could change the engine. Right. So he had five more laps to do to get the right mileage so that they could retire the engine and be able to start over. Mm-hmm. The second thing was there's a 22 person grid, and I believe that we talked about it at the early the beginning of the season. Points are handed out for the first 20 people who cross the line.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now here's where it gets good. Dixon is in a in the points target for winning the championship and because of that had two people retired from the race and retired retired he could have gotten points he could have picked up some extra points and so the idea was that as long as he was back on track even 45 laps down if he could have finished the race there might have been a possibility for some points Now, he did his extra five (coughs) laps. Nobody else was looking like they were retiring. They went on and pulled him off the track. He was a retirement for the race. It wasn't. Yeah. He didn't get that kind of a thing. But there was definitely talk about that as a possibility, which seems crazy to us as Formula One fans because we see them. Oh, I've got a gearbox failure. I'm done. Yeah. Nobody's pulling the gearbox. and changing the
0: The engine comes and turns off. You're done. That's it. You go into the garage. You're not coming back out again.
1: In a way, I almost felt like I was watching what we would have considered like the early days of Formula One, where they mm-hmm. would have hopped into a different car and continued yeah. on. I mean, anything that they could have done to continue forward, it was a very different sort of feeling. Um, if you wonder where we were sitting for the race, um, where pit lane joins the track, that's where we were.
0: Well, you know, even before that, the, the previous two days, Saturday or Friday and Saturday, we were over at the entrance to turn four which is what uh, is commonly known as the S's over at Mid-Ohio. And we saw a lot of action over there. Mm-hmm. Um, the That breaking zone coming into turn four is a prime area for some passing, prime area for some battles as they're coming down the back straight into turn four. There's all kinds of stuff that happens going into it. Um, we've seen spins. We saw people running out into the – what they call the 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 – Uh, Gravel Trap over there, which is known as China Beach. We saw quite a few of that happening over there. Some folks getting plucked out of it. And if you happen to get your entrance into four wrong and survive making it through five, you probably won't survive into (laughs) six.
1: Exactly. Is what
0: we saw. For the day of the race, we were right at turn one. And this is one of the things that confused us about this. We were at turn one. However... The start of the race, which, by the way, was not the same place the race finished. The start of the race was on the back straight midway between turn three and turn four.
1: Exactly. Makes perfect sense, right?
0: (laughs) But we got to see, you know, as uh, cars were trying to rejoin and uh, we were listening to the radio. We had rented uh, some radios from Race Electronics, which unfortunately don't work for Formula One. Um, but we were listening to the team radios and hearing the cars come in, they get counted in. Mm-hmm. There, there's all kinds of discussion as to where to stop, when to stop, and all of that stuff that you don't hear in Formula One. And by the way, there is coaching. There is a lot of driver coaching going on on the radios. Not quite as much in IndyCar as in the Junior Series, but there's a lot of coaching. Oh, don't yeah.
1: And spotters all over that track. I mean, I watched with spotters standing at the corner at turn one so they could also see the back straight mm-hmm. and watch those guys.
0: Takuma Sato's spotters were particularly vocal, mm-hmm. and I think I heard them more than anybody else. But there were a lot of coaching going on at that level. So don't let anybody say that no no other team has coaching and, and no other series has coaching in Formula One. It's all over the place. Just accept it. Mm-hmm. Um we did get to see uh, Jack Hawksworth blow. I think he he was trying to make a pass and ended up off the track. And we we couldn't see what happened in the lead up to it. Um, when we watched the video, you could see him clearly get two wheels off and lose it. What we saw was basically he go straight through turn one and into a wall.
1: All right. That was right, right in
0: front of in us. Front of us. Um, he was completely unharmed. Yeah. Um,
1: there was beautiful cheers when he got out of that car. Yeah. Stood up, waved to the crowd, got into the uh, the safety crew car.
0: Unfortunately, what we could not see was the incident in the pits between um, Mikhail Alation and his teammate uh, Hinchcliffe. Right. That was bizarre, and, th- and that's one of the other things. You know, Formula One, they're pushing really hard to regulate who gets released, when they get released how they get released, and since the team has a pit box, as opposed to each driver having a pit box, you don't end up in a situation where this happened, where Alation was coming out as his teammate was coming in, but his teammate's pit box was three positions up, which meant he was right in the trajectory of his teammate coming out of his pit box and got broadsided.
1: One of the commentators said that this was a classic case of know who your neighbors are. Yeah. Because what happened was, so in Formula One, if you think about the pit lane, there's one lane and then there's pit boxes. So it's mm-hmm. a, essentially it's a two-lane road, but pit boxes are parked yeah. cars along the side. And the IndyCar, it's two lanes for pit. There's a high-speed lane to get you down the lane faster, and then you cut across into your pit box. The problem is that the guy that's directing Alation to come out is facing the cars coming in. So he sees the high speed car, the, his Hinchcliffe, come by mm-hmm. in the high speed lane. Well, Hinchcliffe's not actually going to turn into his pit box for another pit box. Right. But the guy facing the wrong way doesn't know that unless he knows where Hinchcliffe's pit box is.
0: Well, there's that, and there's also apparently a bit more, it was the crew chief who, who's mm-hmm. responsible for making the determination as to when to release the car. The problem was the crew chief, because of the the nature of the stop and what was going on and where they were in the race, was also making adjustments to Alation's wing. So he was focusing in two places at once.
1: Not a good plan. Yeah. Not a good plan at all. Alation, unfortunately, not only hit Hinchcliffe, but he also hit a uh, wheelman for the pit box next to him and i have forgotten what that was nobody was hurt yeah but he wound up uh serving a penalty and he had been leading that race for quite a bit of time before that so it's a very sad piece of that all in all as a person who has never gone to a race before in her life i have to tell you how well it,
0: it, at that level i mean we've been to a couple of races at mid-ohio right so but
1: never a single seater open wheel race mm-hmm. um and anything at that level um, I have to tell you, I had so much fun. Um, it the downside to be seeing it live is truly you can't see everything at one time. Yeah, there is no place to be on that track where you can see everything you would see that you see on TV.
0: Now there are some tracks that are better than others when it comes to visibility. Hungary is is one that comes to mind because of the way that track is laid out. You can see a lot of it. And my understanding is also um, Hockenheim is another one. You can see a good chunk of it because of the layout.
1: But, but, but the trade-off for that is you cannot change out or give up the joy of being there. Yeah. There's something about even though you only get to see this narrow wedge of the whole action – There's something about the electricity of being there.
0: Well, the other thing is, and and it was one of my other concerns, and it wasn't, it didn't play out, was you've got all these support races that go on. And, you know, I'm like, well, how interesting and how exciting can those support races actually be? I don't know any of these folks. I don't follow any of these series. You know, I don't care what happens to them. But there was actually some... Pretty good racing that was going on. And what was interesting is we were watching the Indy Lights, which is the one level below uh, IndyCar. And those Indy Lights cars are pretty cool looking. Yeah. Um, but it was, especially when we were over watching everything going on in turn one, and we we were much closer in turn one and had a better angle for seeing how things worked mm-hmm. than we were when we were over at, at, at turn four. But noticing how different, and, and it was glaring how different those cars go through that corner compared to the Indy cars
1: right how tight do they get to the apexes how you know mm-hmm. and, and when you started looking at the other Mazda, the, the other road to Indy series that were going on you know, like the Mazdas that's that's closed car racing it was Porsches and and oh, other, the GT class the GT class yeah that's all closed car stuff Watching how they change, you know, they changed the track trajectory too. The Indy mm-hmm. Lights had a different line, all the different lines were very obvious to get to see. And when it comes down to it, I realized that I didn't need to know who the driver was to appreciate a good, well executed pass.
0: Well, there's that, and there's also something for watching McLaren race cars.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was very cool, also. Um, nearly getting run over by them as they were getting back oh, to their. Yeah, there was that. their garages with air quotes around them um, was a different story, but that was it was all kinds of fun. Um, we are already making plans for next year, mm-hmm. um, so you will have to deal with us talking about IndyCar in mid-Ohio next year.
0: And uh, we've had a really long show, so I think well, it's, it's time it's to
1: wrap up. Well, it's two shows in one. It, it kind of was. It's a twofer. You
0: know? Like we said, we had a lot to talk about, so we had to jump right into it. So... Um, yeah, you know, as a reminder, uh, remember, check us out uh, over at blokinabird.com. Mm-hmm. Not blokinabird, but the blokinabird. That's important. The the. the, the. We, we need that. Um, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the new rules? Did Formula One make the, the right decision? Yes. Or w- was this a matter of them throwing their toys out of the pram? And, and could they, ha- should they have been a little more measured in their? direction that they went no um (laughs) that's what we think but what do you think you know we want to hear that uh more than just phil we like hearing from phil but we know there's some other people out there who are listening um we'd love to hear from you and make sure that uh there is that we're not putting you to sleep and uh on that i think we'll call it a show